Good afternoon, Church at Four. It's wonderful to see you here. Uh, We've got this joyful time to work through John 18 to 21 over the next few weeks. Uh, And so please have your Bibles open and we are going to read this passage and unpack it together. Well, our society craves control. What do you reckon the ultimate expression of that is? Well, it is the humble remote control. Whoever has the remote control on the couch controls Netflix. Having this smooth, plastic, knobbly thing gives you great security and power. Actually, let's think more seriously. Over the last 18 months, we've all realised that we're not in control. What the pandemic has done is it's shaken us, and it's especially shaken Western culture. There was genuine angst when Gladys stopped talking to us at 11am each morning and we didn't know what was going on. A whole bunch of our society ride the COVID numbers and vaccination rate wave as if we can control the, the, the virus this way. And while we all have different levels of power, we're not in control. Now, that's not a surprise, is it? My kids... They love space books, and we've got so many space books. And as we read the space books and we enjoy the stories, the same message is there, right? The universe is massive and we are small. But we, you and me, we've been discipled by secular culture to believe that we are self-made, that we are self-defined people. But the reality is, that I'm impacted and you're impacted and I'm shaped and you're shaped by things that are outside of our control. That's not bad, that's just reality. Now, the lack of control, it impacts us in lots of different ways. In Western culture, there's pandemic gloom everywhere. There's that hopelessness that this will never get better. And then there's control denial. Oh, everything will get better when we go back to normal whatever normal is. Even Christians have found this time hard. As we try and deal with uncertainty and it really clashes with the goodness of God and what we think he is doing. So today we're asking, who is in control? And each of the characters in the story that was read by Mark before, from John 18, is engaging with this question. And the answer is expected. We all know it's going to be Jesus. But the the impact of that is profound because in Jesus, we have the security our society craves for. That's the big idea for today. In Jesus, we have the security that our society craves for. And that's because this is what John wants for his readers. He's written his gospel for you and me and readers over the centuries so that by believing in Jesus... We will have life in his name. And that's just not life beyond the grave. That's life now. Life that works in a world where we're not in control. And so today we're going to explore three scenes. Scene number one, a controlled capture. Scene number two, a controlled revelation. And scene number three, a controlled plan. Let's go. Number one, a controlled capture. Follow along. Chapter 18, verse 1. When Jesus had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. Through my eyes, 
I see Jesus at his weakest point at this point. He's about to be arrested, he's defeated, and his popularity has waned. But the reality is actually really different. Because as Jesus stood up in Jerusalem and he walked down the hill, down the bottom of the Kidron Valley and back up and into that garden, he set in motion his departure that he'd been talking about since chapter 14, verse 2. There he was talking to his disciples and he said, I've got to go to the Father to prepare a place for you and for me. And that journey is only a journey Jesus could take. He couldn't take the disciples with him. And that's because Jesus knew that now was the time. So back one chapter in chapter 17, Jesus prays this. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. That theme of time has been there all the way through John's gospel. And Jesus knew he was heading all the way to this moment in time. It's called the hour in John's gospel. And his ultimate glory was not raising Lazarus from the dead or walking on water or turning water into wine. It wasn't those things. They're glorious. But his ultimate glory was his arrest and his death. That was his purpose. And it started in a garden. See there in verse 1? On the other side there was a garden that he and his disciples went into. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Now this garden was Jesus' quiet place and he went there regularly to pray and to teach. And it was probably a walled garden owned by a rich supporter. And people knew it well. Judas knew it well. And Judas thought he was in control. See there in verse 3? So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns and weapons. Can you hear the arresting mob? Roman soldiers, 60 to 200, marching down the hill, their armour clinking. Then you've got the temple police running beside them, trying to keep up. Then you've got Judas the snitch, he's in the shadows, and they arrive with a lantern and weapons. They are ready for a hunt and a fight. Strange, isn't it? Jews and Romans on the same team, but weird times generate really strange friendships. It actually also symbolises the Jews and the Gentiles all standing against Jesus. How easy would it have been to hide in the shadows? No streetlights. Jesus could have just snuck away. But this is a controlled capture. Jesus knew he would be found. And he doesn't change his habits to escape. He goes to the usual place. And then he walks out to the mob. Point two, a controlled revelation. Jesus, verse four, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. 
It's an incredible scene, isn't it? It's human 10-pin bowling. Jesus' words, they bowl over soldiers, police, Judas. Now, what's going on here? Well, Jesus' words there, I am he, could mean that. I am he. It is me. But I think there's more going on. Because literally the words Jesus uses is, I am. And he uses that phrase to calmly reveal who he is. For the phrase I am takes us back to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus 3, burning bush, Moses, sandals off, standing before God. And he says to God, God, what's your name? I need a name to tell Israel. And look at verse chapter 3, verse 14 of Exodus. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. It's a brilliant name, isn't it? Not only is God the ever-present creator of everything, but wherever God is, he's universally present. He's the eternal constant. He is the I am. And in John 18, Jesus uses that phrase to identify himself with God. Slip of the tongue? No. Jesus has been using this phrase on numerous occasions in John to claim for himself the source of what God alone can do. You guys remember this, don't you? I am the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth and the life, the true vine. In John chapter 6, Jesus, walking on water over to his disciples in a boat, says, don't be afraid, I am. Possibly more frightening than a man walking on a water for a Jewish person. In John chapter 8, as he disputes with the religious leaders over his identity, he says, Very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. I'm sure you agree, it is undeniable that Jesus and the religious leaders understood what Jesus was saying when he said, I am. He is God himself. And that is what we're seeing in John 18, a controlled revelation. Now, we all know that terrible TV show, Undercover Boss. Okay, The most powerful person in a company, CEO, general manager, whatever, he goes undercover, dresses up, goes undercover, and we watch for 40 minutes, and we go, oh, how can they not see? And then finally, there's the great reveal, and everyone goes, wow. Okay, Undercover Boss. Well, at his arrest in John 18, we see 12 people and an army, a carpenter and soldiers. The Jewish leaders, they see a troublemaker. Judas sees a disappointment. But what's the reality? The Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews and the Romans are standing before God himself. Whoa. Jesus stands confident of his identity. Jesus is in absolute control. And so point three, a controlled plan. Have a look at verse eight. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. 
It's beautiful, isn't it? At the moment of being arrested, Jesus cares for his disciples. Let these men go. Now that fulfills Jesus' promise in chapter 17, verse 12. And it is also a shadow of what Jesus' salvation death will achieve. He will stand before God for his disciples. He will lose none of them. He will care for them. He will protect them. He will lay down his life for his people. Secularism, that's the world we live in. It's a fair weather religion. It doesn't work when there's disease and when there's death. It leads to pandemic gloom. But the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, he lays down his life for his sheep. Look at verse 10. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. What does Peter do? He grabs the remote control and he pulls out his butter knife and he swings and he misses and he kind of chops off an ear and it completely fits with the Peter that we know, don't we? He acts now, thinks later. But maybe Peter had worked out what Jesus' plan was, and he didn't like it. Not my king, not to jail, not my saviour, not the cross. But nothing can stop the plan of God. Don Carson, an American, says this, The blow was as clumsy as Peter's courage was great. The tactic was pointless as Peter's misunderstanding was total. Verse 11, Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? The cup here, what Jesus is talking about, is a picture of God's wrath. His fair and his just punishment for sin. And what it does is Jesus takes us back to Isaiah Um, 51 verse 22 and it's on the screen thus says your lord the lord your god who pleads the cause of his people behold i've taken from your hand the cup of staggering the bowl of my wrath you shall drink no more stunning isn't it israel they deserve the cup of wrath you and me We deserve the cup of wrath, but someone else will drink it. And so as Jesus goes to his death, he willingly drinks the cup of God's wrath instead of you and me. This is why Jesus rebukes Peter. He's getting in the way of the plan of God. Jesus knows that God's plan is for Jesus to drink the cup. And Jesus willingly, because of his love for the Father and us, drinks the cup for us. Finally, John leaves us today with another reminder of who's in control. He reminds us of what Caiaphas, the high priest, said after Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead back in chapter 11. Have a look at it here. Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, 
not that the whole nation could perish. Caiaphas, sneaky guy, he believed that the Jewish leaders could do God's will and save God's people if they killed Jesus. Ironically, this evil man spoke a word of truth. The plan of God was to save the world through Jesus dying on the cross. As you prepared for church at four this afternoon, you may have thought, wow, Jesus is not in control. Actually, many people never move on from this point. They like his miracles, they like his teaching, but this is not where he's in control. I read something this week that said this, he's a wannabe revolutionary whose attempt at social, social and cultural change led to his sad end at the hands of an establishment that would not be changed. The reality is so different. Jesus is in absolute control. He went to his death with full knowledge at exactly the time he chose, in the manner he determined. He was seized by the soldiers because he allowed it and he submitted himself to God's plan willingly. That's our God standing in that garden. And that's our God who hangs on that cross. In Jesus, we have the security our society craves for. Because at the cross, our fear of death from a disease or from anything is taken away and defeated as Jesus drinks the cup of God's wrath. And at the cross, the gates of heaven are opened wide and the barrier stopping a relationship with God is removed because Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath. Tim Keller, an American preacher, says this, the gospel of Jesus makes us both humble and confident at once. Jesus really has got things under control. Such wonderful assurance as we head into a week of uncertainty, isn't it? Jesus has got us. If Jesus was in control in the garden on the way to the cross, he is definitely in control now in 2021. So, when do we reach for the proverbial sword or the remote control from Jesus? Where are you taking control back from Jesus? You might be thinking, oh, God just wants me to be with that person, even though my Christian friends say that's a bad idea, or I really need that to be happy, even though I know God probably would say, no, that's not good. Or I want control of this. God, you stay out of it. What we've learned today is the reality that Jesus is in control is not just a truth we agree with. Because the daily Christian prayer is not, hey God, my will, not yours. No, the daily Christian prayer is, no matter how hard it is, God, no matter what I'm feeling, your will be done. The place we know where God's will is, not in our guts, it's in the Word of God. And so the Christian says, I trust you, Jesus. You're good. You're really in control. Let's pray. Father God, your plan was so amazing. 
and it was never going to be stopped by soldiers or disciples, Judas, Pharisees. Jesus willingly followed your plan all the way to the cross and he was totally in control in that garden. And he is totally control of our lives now as the resurrected Saviour. Please help us to know that you are the only one in control in this world. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name.